from the Kramer Basketball Headquarters in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You are listening to the Coach's Edge Podcast, powered by Coach. Here is your host, Steve Kramer. I'd like to welcome back friend of the podcast, James Blackburn, to the Coach's Edge. GIG, sports agent, international agent, uh, scout, camp director. I mean, he's done training. He's done, you know, coaching. I mean, you name it. Uh, James has had a hand not just in the United States, but but around the world. And it's it's always a great conversation as we talk a little bit uh, about international basketball with uh, the fact that the FIBA uh, World Cup or World Championships uh, just wrapped up. And so, James, it's been a minute since you've been on the, the podcast. So, uh, first of all, welcome back. Secondly, introduce yourself to our listeners, and let's talk a little international basketball today. It's good to um, it's good, Steve, to be back on again, and I'm a big fan of the podcast. And uh, yeah, just to just to give you a small background of myself, um, I am currently the uh, director of international basketball for GIG Sports, um, an agency based out of Michigan. I'm here in North Carolina myself, um, but this is my 12th year, about to be my 12th year um, as a full-time agent. So I've had guys in over 60 countries worldwide and I'm currently representing uh, 31 players right now. Um, so that's that's uh, what I'm doing currently. But uh, yeah, like you said, I also run the Coast to Coast um, Showcase Camps, uh, about to start year six of doing that. And um you know, have a long background in basketball, working in the NBA with the Charlotte Bobcats and coached high school basketball, AAU basketball. So uh, kind of done a little bit of everything. But, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's good to be back on, like I said, and I'm, I'm really excited for our discussion today. What are some of the you know, what are some of the countries that, you know, are really uh, prominent as far as some of the American players that you represent getting jobs and playing overseas? Uh, well, I've always had a big, um, I guess, foothold in Germany okay. uh, over the years. I think every single year I've, I've been doing this, I've had a player, at least one in Germany. Uh, last year I had seven in Germany just throughout all the different levels. Of course, in Germany, it's a it's a great market because you you literally have, you know, four or five levels yeah. uh, of play that could take Americans, you know, all the way from, of course, BBL, Germany, which is one of the top leagues in the world. And then you've got pro a pro B and then you've got the uh, Regio leagues, you know, the fourth and fifth divisions. And, um, you know, it's a great place for Americans to go because you can move up and down throughout the levels and, uh, you know, you know, you could get paid and, um, it's just, it's really good basketball there. So I would say, um, Germany is, it's definitely one of the, the, the good ones. And then, you know, I've, I've tried to get more and more into the Asian market, um, Japan, for instance, uh, I've got a couple of guys there this year and I've, I've had a, a few there the last, uh, you know, few years. So it's, um, I mean, there's, I've, I've had guys everywhere, <laughs> but I would say Germany is like one of the, the, the markets I really enjoy sending players mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty like, um, you know, for a, a person in the U.S., myself, three out of more five, three out of my four seasons were were playing in Germany. It's a it's a much easier transition to Caspian one season in Slovakia. It's just a harder transition for being from the United States. Germany is a pretty 
pretty easy, smooth transition as far as living and uh, things like that go. So that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, the, the uh, Asian market is is booming. Basketball is booming over there. I mean, it's so 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 popular and and really around the world, which is why we're digging into uh, the World Championships where uh, Team USA finished fourth. All right, Germany that you that you we just spoke about wins the world world championship. Uh, high level uh, of basketball play being done between, you know, I think the things that Canada has done and, and just uh, Serbia and so many different uh, countries. As you, you know, watch these international games, you know, what are some of the things that come to mind? So, I mean, yeah, we could go a lot of different places with this. Um, I think uh, the, the number one thing you said was like watching the games. I think this year it was good because ESPN plus broadcasted a lot of the games Um I think overall, Americans, you know, the average basketball fan in America, you know, they get into the Olympics, right? And they will watch, you know, Team USA. But I think the World Cup is kind of everybody's like, oh, World Cup, they think of soccer. <laughs> and I think it's kind of like a newer thing um, for American basketball fans. And they just haven't been, uh, they don't view it as much. And this year, of course, with it being in Asia, it was a little tougher because of the time differences. But, you know, of course, all of Team USA's games came on, you know, TV on ESPN. And then you had ESPN Plus to be able to watch, you know, Latvia or Germany or Serbia or Slovenia, all these other great basketball countries. Um, And, you know, the USA team, of course, you know, lost in the semis. And then, you know, they got beat uh, by Canada, which was an incredible game um, for the third place, the bronze game. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed the games this year. I mean, um, it was really high play, especially the, the championship game. Um, you know, if coaches wanted some good offensive sets, I'd encourage them to go back and watch that uh, Germany, um, you know, Serbia championship. The way the ball moved, uh, everybody talks about that. But, you know, it, it moves uh, side to side so much. Like, you know, coaches always talk about reversing the ball. They do such an amazing job of making the defense rotate. Um and then, you know, here we, we just we, we like to go spread and we like to just play and go into pick and roll. But there the pick and roll is like, you know, the third action they're going into. Right. Um, and they're getting into it, but they're doing so many other things first uh, that they make you guard. And that's that's I think that one of the biggest keys when I coached overseas on different tours and everything, I would always tell our guys, um, you know, one of the biggest differences is. Uh, they make you guard every single action. And if you make one mistake, like they're going to take advantage of that mistake, whether it's a bad switch or, you know, whether you leave a guy open or, you know, somebody doesn't rotate right, like they're going to take advantage of that mistake. And they make you do, they make you guard it every time down floor. And it's, and it's something different and you've got to communicate and you've got to be on your toes. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something some of these other countries do so well. Um, but I mean, ultimately actions that you see, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was, yeah, no, go I, ahead. This is to your, to your point, I think of like, what are some of those really hard to guard actions that you're talking about? Cause I think you're hundred percent on the money. And, and a lot of times in, in the U S we see, okay, spacing. So we got spacing, say we got five out, we got a ball screen, but there may be uh, fewer multiple actions or fewer, even three player actions instead it might just be a two player action for, you know, the ball screen or a dribble handoff, for example, but there's so many more players involved in a single action and then it's consecutive 
after that, what are some of the ones that you think are, boy, these are really successful, even for a high school coach. Hey, maybe we should start adopting some of these actions that international teams are using. So I'll start with like a really simple one. Um, just like a simple DHO dribble handoff. Like I think overseas teams, we're starting to see some more of that in the NBA now, but you don't see as much of it, especially at the high school or college level. And I think, again, that's just very simple, but, um, like they're just overseas teams. I think uh, international teams are exceptional at dribble handoffs, you know, with their bigs, you know, going down to the corners, they use different angles and dribble handoffs are so hard to guard and you could get so many reads out of it. So when, when I say actions, I guess I don't necessarily mean they're running elaborate plays, which they are right. But a lot of times they're just running so many different like little things at you like whether it's a back screen i think another thing they do great is like screen the screener right and they do that again at various different angles they do it for shooters um of course you've got like this the spain pick and roll play where you know you got the back screen for the for the roller um but you know everything they do there's so many counters out of it that it's so hard to guard so um they're they're great i think it staggers off the ball a lot of their stuff is off the ball action. They, um, you know, they throw the ball to the post and they play out of the post, kind of like how Golden State does a lot with split split actions out of the post. And I, I think again, um, you know, all that is so much harder than guard to guard rather than just a basic spread, you know, side pick and roll. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about you know, so so those are some of the differences, and we see some of that right in, in, in the U.S., but. Again, when you watch international play, I mean, that's this is a possession to possession thing. It's not a, hey, okay, we isolated, we ran a single sideball screen, next possession, let's get into an action. I mean, overseas, I mean, it's boom, 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 boom. Every possession is very, very efficient, really, and uh, with, with ball and player movement. Um, and you mentioned the post play, which again is, is being lost. And we, we noticed that. Uh, Big time with with this specific team, right? Not just uh, offensively, but defensively, defensively as well, which I want you to touch on as well. Uh, when you watch Team USA play compared to the other teams in the world, what are some of the differences that you notice, you know, positively or negatively? Well, I mean, the positive is, you know, we always seem to be more athletic, right? We're great in transition. Um, you know, we've got elite talent as far as, We've got guys, numerous guys on the team that can create their own shot, create their own offense. You know, I think this year's team, um, you had Anthony, of course, it was cool to like, you know, have players have their coming out parties, if you will. Um, but like there was numerous other guys that stepped up throughout that, uh, you know, had big showings. Like you never really knew who was going to pop off and have like a big game, you know, besides, like I said, Edwards. Um but like the negatives, I mean, we it seems like I say this every year, and you already mentioned it about the bigs. We always try to go small. <laughs> and like it's a little bit easier when you have LeBron and Kevin Durant and some of these guys out there that you could kind of go small, I guess, it, in, in quotes, <laughs> like with 6'8", yeah. 6'11", six, six, guys. But when you have a bunch of 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guys, yeah, it's different. Um, and you don't have that elite-level talent. Like this year, at the end of the day, like, you know, just to be blunt, like we sent, you know, our C, D talent level, you know, I mean, and everybody's talking about different ways to fix it. Well, you know, we send over LeBron and Duran and, 
Steph Curry and Devin Booker and those guys, like, hey, we're going to win the gold. Like, um, it's going to be a a lot more of a sure thing, not a sure thing, but it's going to be a lot higher chance. But this year we knew kind of going in that, hey, we don't have the talent on this team. And then not only that, like, the team wasn't necessarily built right, which I think we always, you know, leave out some of the bigs, which we're so used to going small here and we switch everything. But overseas, one of the other big differences is they punish the switch a lot more than here in America. Here, like, we switch all the time, but we never punish it. Like, we never make the guard pay for getting on the big. And over there, they're going to punish that every time. And, um, and then another thing is I think we look at – what the player does here so much as far as how he impacts college or NBA basketball, but we don't maybe build the team as much. Hey, how can this guy impact a FIBA game? Meaning, you know, you've got the, uh, the rule changes where you can knock the ball off the rim. You don't have the defense of three seconds. You have the game's a lot more physical. So how can we build the team with guys, um, you know, more so uh, that, that fit the FIBA, the international game, um, and, uh, it's funny cause like every time, you know, we lost and all you see on social media is you see like a million ways we could fix it. <laughs> and then you see like LeBron and all the stars like, Oh yeah, we're going to commit to the the, ne- <laughs> the next time. And it like, and it creates this big thing. Um, yeah. and I always think that's kind of comical. Uh, and it, and then you won't hear anything about it again until yeah. <laughs> the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it, and I, I was a little dis honestly, Steve too, like, our coaching staff this year was amazing. I mean, we had Mark, I mean, you look at the level of basketball intellect with our coaching staff with Steve Kerr and, you know, Ty Lue. And then of course, Eric Spolscher, who I think is one of the best coaches in the league. And then you had, Oh, by the way, Mark few, who's the head coach of one of the best teams in America. And I just didn't think that they, you know, of course I wasn't there, but just me viewing it and me viewing the other coaches, it seemed like the other coaches got into it more like, they were getting onto their players, you know, they were, they were up, they were, you know, into it. They were showing energy and our coaches were just kind of, it seemed like just kind of sitting there and they did put the same emphasis, the same effort. Um, I wish they would have made better adjustments and I know they can, I mean, these are great coaches. So I'd like to see just a little bit more, um, you know, just from the outside perspective, uh, just putting a little bit more into that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because you can really look at it from two different sides and be like, you know, this was the, okay, the C team, uh, not as much of, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the U.S. gets really behind the Olympics. I mean, everybody gets excited about, hey, there, there's only one week out of the year, right, where people are excited to watch swimming or people do flips on, on gymnastics, but people are locked in, right? Uh but when it comes to the World Cup, like the whole country is locked in, right? The whole country in Spain is locked into whether it's World Cup, whether it's the Olympics, they're invested the entire time. And go, I want to go back to one more thing, punishing the switch. Like when did, it's it's, it's funny because you know, we think of, and, and I'm going back, like way, we can go back to like to the early 90s where we thought of, okay, international play is a little soft compared to the U.S., Right more physical, you know, we got tougher, tougher guys, not just more athletic, but, but tougher guys. But now you, you look to where we are in the game today. I mean, every, it seemed like every team had a big, that was like really big, really strong. 
they could roll into the post. They could seal. They had great footwork, great touch, high IQ, good passers, and just physical offensively and defensively. And you look at, you know, this specific roster. And again, you know, if you got Bam out of IO banging people around, LeBron and Durant, who, you know, play bigger than they even are, like game's going to look different. We're going to win. But it seems like all the good international teams have some guys like that. A lot of them are actually in the NBA playing that exact same way. I mean, if you think of like who are like the really, really good, like consistent centers in the NBA, uh, they're international, right? Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. And it it is funny you brought that up about like, because when I was growing up in high school or even in college, I didn't know as much about international basketball, but you always kind of labeled it like soft, <laughs> you know, like, oh, they're flopping and soft. And then for whatever reason, it's made like almost a 180 turnaround now. And I think a big part of that is all coming back to the rules, right? Like you look at the no, the no, the no hand check in America, um, you know, the defensive three seconds rules uh, just, and that's all levels. I mean, they're calling it tighter. Right. And, overseas internationally it seems like the rules haven't really changed in 30 40 50 years and i think it all comes back to that because nobody was calling american basketball soft back in the 80s and the 90s or even in the early 2000s officiating has changed in that time yeah and the officiating and the rules and it's just all gone towards entertainment which is they want more scoring so that's what it's all gone towards more tv more more scoring more entertainment and over there, it's just more about just basketball, period. Yeah. And, and you were talking about, like, punishing the switch. It's not just, you know, they don't just punish, like, a guard that switches onto a big. Like, if you're over there and you're a small guard, like, they'll just post up their bigger guard, you know. And here, we don't – that used to be a bigger thing here in the U.S., you know, Chauncey Billups and Jason Kidd and, and those guys, you know, posting up. Even Gary Payton used to post up guys, and now mm-hmm. guards rarely – you know, post up other guards. Mm, that's a great point. And one of the reasons why everybody's a big fan of Jalen Brunson, right? Who's who's maybe the one little point guard, American point guard in the league, who's like consistently doing that, right? And he's found a ton of success. So hopefully that continues to to bring its way back, way back into, into the game. You mentioned the rules, the officiating, and this is the defense that I have for uh people that I talk to and they're like, oh, I can't stand the NBA. I can't stand the NBA. And I'll defend, you know, the NBA. And I wouldn't even consider like NBA is not my top form of basketball that I enjoy watching. It's not, it's not, but I end up defending the players because I'm like, they're just playing by the rules that they've been given. They're going to figure out the best way to be successful given the way the game's being played. So if you're going to be upset, don't be upset at the players be upset with Adam Silver, uh, the officiating committee, like everybody who who's the higher ups and they've decided this is the best brand of basketball for us to play. Cause one, it's not conducive to us being successful by international rules. Cause it's a, it's a very different game now. And two, for me personally, the way that the NBA game is played, it's not like the most enjoyable form of basketball for me to watch. Um, but again, I can't blame that on the players, right? They're, they're trying to find the most effective way, and the coaches even are finding the most effective way, given the way the game is officiated. 
if we change the way it's officiated, the, these are still the best players in the world. They're going to adapt and they're going to figure out a new way to be super, super effective, you know, given the rules. I mean, talk about some of those differences that, that you've noticed and how it's, you know, affected us in FIBA. Well, like we said, you know, the defensive three seconds, I think, is the biggest one because these guys in America in the NBA are used to driving to the paint. And, you know, unless it's Rudy Gobert or somebody like that that's rotating, <laughs> that has, you know, seven feet tall, they're not really going to have much um, resistance there. And in, in an international play, they're driving to the paint and you've got a, you know, 6'9", 250 pound, you know, big, this physical, this waiting for you. And oh, by the way, He's not going to just be there, but he's going to he's going to hit you and they're not going to call the fouls as much. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, I had a good friend, Wayne Otto, that was a FIBA official um, years ago, and he always made this point. He said, you know, the entire world plays by FIBA rules except for America. And you think about that and you look at the World Cup and you've got teams, you know, from Middle East, teams from Asia, Australia, Canada, you know, of course, you know, USA and then all over Europe and all those teams are used to playing by FIBA rules, but we're the only ones that don't. So, I mean, I'd said that I'd said this before, but I'd like to see the USA just go to FIBA rules for all of our leagues. Like, you know, they're not, they're not, it's not like it's playing a totally different game. It's, it's still basketball, but it's pretty basic. You go to four 10 minute long quarters, you play with the same shot clock at every level you, you know, play with the same um, length of uh, three-point line, the same defensive rules, uh, and you just do that for, you know, your high school, college, and NBA. And you think about that, um, you know, because over there, if you're 14, 15 years old, you're playing with pretty much the same rules as the pro league. So that there's, there's not any adjustment then. And for here, you look at the adjustments between – high school and college, but then college to pro or college to international. And there's always adjustments. In Everyone's level. an adjustment. Yeah. High school to college yeah, is everyone. very different. <laughs> college to NBA is very different. When college, you get to play overseas. I mean, yeah, you're right. That's a great point. Every transition that you make in the United States is a big adjustment. And like given this team, a fairly young roster, Yes, so that's less international experience that they'd had over time, which makes it even harder for them to adjust and adapt to the new rules that they have really on the fly. Mm -hmm. Coach, tell us about your experience going to the World Cup and some of the things that you've noticed, you know, internationally. You were there before we started recording. What was it, 2014? 2014, correct. Yeah, I went, I was in Spain. Um, was in a couple of cities. I was in Bilbao, and then I was in Barcelona, and I got to watch uh, the Team USA play then. And um, it was interesting because that team was uh, – you know, we talked about it like the, the World Cup teams, we don't seem to put the same emphasis on as the Olympics. But that year, uh, the World Cup team was loaded. You know, we had Steph Curry was on that team, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, um, you know, we, we had some guys and uh, Clay Thompson was on that team as well. Um, and one thing I noticed was now granted it was in Spain. So it's easier for, you know, let's say Finland or some of these European countries to travel there. Some of like us traveling within the States, right. As far as the proximity, but I was one of the only Americans, you know, besides maybe some NBA scouts or people like that, uh, that were there, um, 
you know, watching. And, you know, it's interesting, like a couple of my buddies who are agents, they were over in uh, American agents were over in, you know, Asia for the World Cup. And, you know, they were you, you watch the TV and stuff and you just didn't see like many American fans, right? As many as maybe the Olympics would have. So other countries just put more emphasis, like it's a bigger deal, the World Basketball Championships to them uh, than us. And it comes down to just even the average, like how many average basketball fans would you think if you just found them on the street knew that we were in the World Cup? Like they wouldn't really know much about it, how the pools worked, how the group stages worked. Like do they really watch the games maybe besides the USA game, if they even watch that one? So that, that was like one of the biggest things that I saw, just the excitement level of these other teams besides, you know, our own. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool being, I mean, one, it's, that's kind of sad that you were one of the only people from the U S over there cheering team USA on. Uh, but it's also such a great experience being over there and, and seeing the passion that other countries have for the game of basketball. And this isn't like a, a recent thing. I mean, if we go, 1998 World Cup, third place for the U.S. 2002, sixth place. 2006, third place. 2010, 2014, United States won. Then they changed. And I also think that this is one of the reasons why we may not be able to get the caliber of player that maybe we have even a, a few years ago is they switch when the World Cup is, right? It used to be World Cup, a year break, and then the Olympics. Right. And everybody gets behind the Olympics. So you're probably going to get our best players possible playing on the Olympics. But now it's back to back years. I mean, the Olympics are, are next summer. So that's a that's a back to back <laughs> summer commitment because they went from 2014 to 2019. Well, 2020 was the Olympics. Now we're going 2023. 2024 is the Olympics. Well, 2019, what happened? We got seventh place. All right. 2023, fourth place. And these I'm not saying like these games were close. It could have been. We, we could have easily got the bronze this year. Like, who knows? Like, anything can happen. It's it's great when there's very competitive games. And this year, there absolutely was. But I think that plays a role in, you know, these high-level NBA players who have sponsorship deals in really different countries around the world. You know, players doing, like, China tour for, for a month, traveling around, selling shoes, and all these different things. It's a big ask, I think, for players that are making a deep run in the playoffs to commit and say, hey, play in the World Cup. Next year, we also want you to play on the Olympic team. And so I think that's just – that's going to be a challenge that is is really even new. Like when – was it Colangelo took over? Uh, when Coach K started coaching, they tried to get him, like, do a three-year commitment. So, like, it, it was like World Cup, summer off, maybe, like, some training, and then do the Olympics. Like, try to commit for three years. But you're not traveling back-to-back years. I think this is going to be a little bit more of a challenge for – you know, our NBA players to, to do. I mean, any, any thoughts on that? That's, I mean, you're the first person I've ever heard um, that's brought up that point. And that's a, that's a great point. I mean, that that's probably a big reason why um, we're having a hard time, but you know, you went through it. Like, you know, I saw that same, I saw an article the other day that kind of detailed the same thing about like the last 20 years, you know, all of our finishes and you're right. There's just been a few golds and, uh, those have come, like you said, in 10 and 14. And you look at the other golds and they've come in the Olympics, right? And, uh, you know, what I'd like to see if we're not able to get, you know, our superstars 
Um, for these, I did see, I think it was somebody on Twitter, somebody raised this point, and it was a good good idea, I think, is to why not go out and get like some top-level Americans that have played EuroLeague or you know high-level Europe their whole career, right, and put them on the team. Man, because the other teams we're playing, it's not like we're playing another team that has 10 NBA players. Like Even the good teams might have three, four, or five, but then there are other guys play high-level Europe. And they're obviously very competitive. So why couldn't we bring, you know, if we could bring our, let's say, quote unquote, seed level talent, right? Go ahead and mix that in with um, some guys that have been over in Europe at really high levels, EuroLeague and different things for six, seven, eight years that are veterans. Um, and the perspective they would bring and the leadership and just, uh, yeah, I mean, and they're high level players. So mm-hmm. they could definitely help us. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Let's switch gears a little bit on some of those international players from the United States and how they can start to get opportunities to play overseas. This is fun. I could talk like international basketball and, and you know, it's easy to be like the Monday morning quarterback, um, but it's also like fun. Right. Because, I mean, you and then you figure out, OK, well, did they have you know, who did they ask, who said no? And like I said, talk about the commitments and different players and stuff like that. Um, but that's part of the fun. That's part of the fun. So coach, you run showcase camps, trying to get players opportunities to, to get an agent, to, to land on a team overseas. Uh, you've also seen some of maybe the not so uh, glamorous uh, and kind of clear cuts by the book sides uh, of international basketball, whether that's agents and teams. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, the showcase camps that you host and then we'll give some players and coaches listening, maybe some tips to look for if they know of a player or they have someone who's, you know, wanting to play at that next level. Yeah. So I'll start off with just, so um, our coast to coast camps, um, like my background with camps is, you know, I've, I've ran them now for five years, like I said, um, but I've, I used to attend a ton of camps, you know, before I started doing my own. I mean, I was going back, you know, to Vegas, you know, back over a decade, right. Um, going to every camp I could trying to meet people, especially when I was early in the, in the business, um, you know, going to camps there, going to camps all over the place that would have them and just, uh, go there to network. Right. So I got to see a lot of different ones, both good and bad. Right. Um, so five years ago, my business partner and myself, his name is George Nesman. Um, he was the uh, head coach of San Jose State, an assistant at Cal, but he was a 30-year college coach in California, and he's retired now. And uh, so me and him had known each other, so we decided to start um, the, the Coast to Coast Showcase. And the big thing that really sets our camp apart and the reason now I think we're the you know best camp in the country is because, one, you know we're super organized. We do things on time. Everything is uh, very well put together from, you know, the team organization to, you know, everybody does practices, uh, the way the games are played. Um, it's not games aren't played like the normal showcase camp games. They're very organized. Um, and then one of our big things is every coach that we have that coaches at our camps uh, are either a like international current coaches, whether head coaches or assistants or G League coaches. Um, so we always have pro coaches coach each team, which, you know, gives the players even more exposure. And I'm 
mean, this past year, in Ve- or you know, just a couple months ago, we finished our camp in July, and we had 100 players. Um, over 50 of those players had Division One backgrounds. Nice. So the, the you know the camp you know the, the talent that. level was incredibly high. The play, every single team had plenty of bigs. I think every team had two plus guys that were six eight and above. We had multiple seven footers, um, and then we had head coaches from R- Romania, Belgium, Finland, Japan. Um, you know, Czech Republic. I mean, we just had so many coaches and the coaches, we give bonuses when you win the championship so that nice. plenty of timeouts that the officiating is really high. So um, overall, we've just been able to create this name now where a lot of people, agents and, and teams come through and watch, uh, especially at our, at our Vegas camp, which is our, our big camp each year. Um, but the, so that's, that's a little background on our camps and kind of what makes our camps unique. Um, but there's, you know, just like everything else, you know, in basketball, there's both good, good and bad, right? And um, I think, unfortunately, there's so many bad overseas camps that they kind of have now like a stigma of, you know, they kind of put everybody that doesn't, oh, it's got to be bad, almost like agents, like they just assume all agents are bad because there's bad agents, but there's a lot of good agents and there's also good showcase camps. So, um, like I would say like coaches or players that are looking for them, don't be fooled like by sexy marketing. Right. And I think like, that's a big thing, even when picking an agent or a camp, you know, people are really good now at Instagram ads or, you know, flyers, or they, they come up with all these different things and people get fooled with that. And, you know, the number one thing you need to look at is what's the track record, you know, what exposure am I could get? It's called an exposure or a showcase camp. Well, if you're just paying money to go there and hoop, right, for nobody, um, even if they give you a jersey and they, they make all this video and stuff, it's not really worth it. So, you you know, you want to look out for these um, kind of like uh, trap words, like a lot of camps use the word, oh, there'll be FIBA scouts in attendance. Like there's no such thing as a FIBA scout, right? And that fools a lot of players or nothing against live stream, okay? Like we don't do live stream and there's some good camps that do live stream, but just because if they say like, oh, this camp's going to be live streamed to thousands of teams, but then they don't put any of the coaches that will actually be there, like just to be honest, I mean, there's not a lot of teams that are going to be sitting there at midnight their time in their respective country watching a camp with players on their computer screen with guys they don't know where they're not there. That just, they might get a couple of people to tune in, but overall there are not going to be hundreds or definitely not thousands of teams tuning into a camp. Um, so again, like players need to look out for these uh, kind of words or, or slogans or, or kind of marketing um, pieces that fool a lot of people. Um, and then, you know, the biggest thing, you know, guys could do is just like I tell them when they're choosing an agent, you know, talk to people that, you know, have attended that camp or, you know, talk to people that have been with that agent. And you might say, well, how can I find that? I mean, for instance, with Coast to Coast, we have a big social media thing. We have, you know, we have a website, you know, make sure you go to the website. We have a ton of information on the website, blogs. We have, you know, past rosters on there. We have uh, all tournament teams, you know, you could go to our social media and a lot of these camps do the same thing. So even if you don't, if you look through and you don't find anybody, you know, just find somebody's name and, you know, find a few guys and contact them on social media. 
you know, say, hey, how did you enjoy going to this camp? You know, would you recommend it? And, th and they'll tell you, right? Um, and guys will be honest with each other. But uh, as they always say, you, you know, the big, big house, famous big house gains always said it, um, you never run out of basketball players. So like every single year, there's a new crop of guys. And there's so many that a lot of them fall for, you know, the same um, kind of the the same tricks but uh i mean you know exposure camps overall i mean there there are good ones um and you know unfortunately there's there's plenty of bad ones but those are just a few of the things that guys you know need to really look for mm -hmm. this is great stuff and i think a, a few things i would mention or, or kind of just add on to what you mentioned was one if if you know i'm a college player do i know somebody who played overseas or is playing overseas I should reach out to them. And if you don't know, like find somebody on Instagram, find somebody on Twitter who's like, Hey, this person was in my conference. They're playing in, you know, Germany right now. I'm going to send them a, a message and just ask them about how did you get over there? What was the process? Who, you know, do you have an agent? What about that? Talk personally with an agent like yourself, right? Instead of like just jumping headfirst into, Oh, there's going to be these scouts. There. There's going to be a live stream, you know, so people can watch me internationally. They got a cool graphics on Instagram. I'm going to sign up and go talk to actual people, right? Is what you, what you need to do first. Then if they recommend you, Hey, if you actually go to this camp, that's how I got picked up. There was an agent there. They saw me play. I signed with that agent. They hooked me up with this team in Germany. That's how it happened. All right. I'll sign up for the camp now. Right. But I would, I would definitely, as you mentioned, don't get fooled right? Talk to actual people, do your homework, right? And then take those, those next steps moving forward as far as giving yourself an opportunity. I mean, I made that mistake. I remember I'd finished college and uh, a guy who was maybe not the most, you know, upright a character, but, you know, he, he involved in like some semi-pro stuff in Michigan. He's like, Hey, Steve, there's this exposure camp in Grand Rapids, 150 bucks. I know you, I'll give you the friend discount, hundred bucks for you. There's going to be scouts there. You're going to play. I'm excited, right? I know nothing, right? I just know I want to play overseas, right? And I don't have a team to play on. So I go there, pay my hundred bucks. There's one, one guy there to watch everybody play. There's like 50 of us there. They randomly, you know, put us in the teams, extremely unorganized, right? And that specific scout who I think maybe he was really looking for like one or two people at a certain position, like, most of the people that came and paid, like they were X'd off before they even took a shot. Right. I mean, that, that, that's the the truth of it. Right. And so it was a scam. It was a flat out, flat out scam. I got lucky. I had a friend who played overseas. He connected me with, with a coach. So I got over there. And once I got over there, I got an agent. And I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of days ago saying how I had an agent overseas. And they were like, really? Like they were surprised similar to you. Like, Sometimes agents get a bad name. And I was like, if I didn't have an agent, who knows what would have happened? I might have played in Regan Ali like my whole my whole time. Or I would have signed with some team and they wouldn't have paid me their money. It wouldn't have been professional. I went over there. I, I played low-level basketball. I was the leading scorer in the league. I found an agent. And then they helped put me in different, different spots and get my name out there. Right. So uh, you mentioned the different leagues in Germany. Like I played in the pro a my last year in pro a, I was voted one of the top like 15 guys in the league. Well, yeah, that was great, but I don't get there without an agent. 
I don't get there without, you know, somebody promoting me. Sure. I had to play well, um, but sometimes that's not enough. And so people like you is what I'm getting to James, people like you that are doing things the right way uh, by the book are extremely valuable and necessary uh, for players like myself who have hoop dreams and who have the ability to play at the next level, but they don't have the connections. Right. And and they don't have, you know, the business acumen that you have after, you know, a decade plus uh, of being in this job. That's why it's a, it's a partnership and it's win-win putting people in a position to succeed is, you know, something that you do. So I, I just love, I just love what you're doing. But the question I want to ask you next is so many players have unrealistic expectations, right? And then this goes from every level on down, right? You got high school kids who think they're going to go play in the ACC, right? It's like, you're, you, are you getting recruited yet? They give you an offer yet? Well, no, you're not getting recruited. Like you're, that's not realistic. And it's the same thing with playing overseas, right? Everybody, Hey, I should be in the NBA. No, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be in the NBA. Right. In fact, you may not be good enough to play on majority of these teams professionally overseas. Talk to us a little bit about establishing some real realistic expectations uh, for those players out there. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it's funny. I had um, a buddy of mine that's a, that's a scout. He told me this years ago and I always remember this. Every player, you know, from high school all the way up to even NBA players, practically most guys think they're two levels better than they are. So like you mentioned the high school player that let's say you're division three talent. Well, they think they're D one. Well, the low major D one guy thinks he's a high major, you know, the high major guy thinks he's going to the NBA. The guy that's in, let's say pro B Germany might think that he's good enough for top league France. The guy that's in top league France thinks he's Euro league. You know, the, even the NBA player, like the guy that's the 14th man, you know, he thinks he's an all-star, right? Like every single level. And that's, and there's a lot of delusion out there. And that's why it's always, you know, really great when you meet a guy that's, you know, realistic, right? And being realistic does not mean you don't have dreams or goals. Or confidence it's just, in yourself, right? It's, it's yeah, it's exactly. You're like just, just getting to know your space. Because there's a difference between being irrational and having a belief in yourself. Like part of the reason why that kid that's mid-major thinks he should be, you know, the kid that's playing at um, Central Michigan, but he thinks he should be playing at Michigan State. Well, part of the reason he's playing at Central Michigan is because he's got enough confidence to begin with that he can even be a Division One player. So, like, there, there's this balance of figuring out, like, where you're actually at and being completely irrational and having no clue and thinking, you know, like you said, you're an NBA player when really, like, be happy that you're, on a roster at a division one school. Yeah. And I'm probably going to screw this quote up, but Tanner Massey, who was just on your oh, show, yeah. that episode, he, he says something like this all the time. And again, I'm probably going to butcher this and he's going to, he's going to get on me later for it, but it's something about, you know, dominate where you are, you know, on the way to where you're going, you mm -hmm. know, and that's what you had just talked about mm -hmm. um, where obviously these are good players. If you're at those levels, um, but yeah, I would I would say that mainly, and then I would say, um, you know, like like a big thing is, um, and and I've really started to talk about this. Uh, <clears throat> just this has become more of a realization in the past year, even after being in this business for over a decade, is you hear players all the time talk about, 
hey, what's your goal? Okay, I want to play in the NBA or I want to play 10 years as a pro. Most players that play professionally, and I'm talking about, you know, internationally, right? Um, not so much in the NBA, but most international players, I would say the vast, vast majority of them, they're if, if they're being honest with themselves and if their agents are being honest with them in a roundabout way, their number one goal on a given year, honestly, should be just getting another contract. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, right? I mean, how many guys are entering? I'll, I'm always amazed about this. Every year in the NBA draft, you get 60 guys drafted and nobody talks about, man, that means 60 guys in the NBA now won't have a job. Well, overseas, internationally, it's just, that magnified by 10 or 100. You've got literally hundreds of rookies coming in from D1, D2, D3, NAI, all these different levels, semi-pro guys that play semi-pro. Yeah, international guys. And then you've got, you know, Americans that have played semi-pro that may have sat out for a year that played in the TBL or whatever, and they're looking to get back over. So and every one of those players that gets a job over internationally in Slo Slovakia or Germany or you know, Finland or wherever, they're taking another guy's job that was there the year before, like an import. And you see a lot of movement internationally. Most contracts are only done year to year, um, but they're not just like forming new teams every year or adding imports. Like the import, you know, um, limits go, go up and down. You know, some years, some leagues, you know, have – two and then they might expand to three or they might go down to one, you know, it, it might change, um, you know, every few years. So unless you're going over there and you have a big year, like you dominate as the import, um, you know, let's say you go over there and you just have a good year. Well, like a good year, depending on the level that you're playing at might not just get you a better job money wise or an advancement in a league. It might just be good enough to get you a lateral move or it might just another be good enough. To, yeah. Another contract that's, it might be beneath of where, where you already played. Right. And if you don't have a good year, you know, you might be look, lucky to get another contract depending on what position you are and stuff like that. I mean, bigs always have more of a, um, more room for error because there's less big. So you might be a big that didn't have a good year, but you might get another year just because you're big and there's, there's not many of them. Whereas if you're a guard, you know, you need to have big years just to kind of even stay in it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like a big thing that I like to, you know, bring up or talk about um, to people is, Hey, you know, you're overall, most guys that play are not going to get rich from it, you know, and, and they're doing this for as long as they could play for as long as they could keep getting a job and getting paid to play basketball until, you know, until I guess their bodies either break down or, or nobody wants them anymore. or They want to move on to something else. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, there's a million different scenarios there, but, uh, but yeah, those, those are just a couple of things, but I mean, you know, to give you some of the numbers, Steve, like, um, I was looking this up before the uh, the podcast, um, you know, talking about this. Like overall, it's actually a, a higher number of guys that, you know, Americans that get to play internationally or in the NBA. It's actually over 20 percent. I think it's like 20.5 percent or something um, of players that play either NBA, G League or internationally. And that sounds like a higher, high number. And it is. 
20% of, of what, uh, like a, of all, like, I would say like college, this is like college players, division one, D2, D3, NAI, like guys coming into the system, um, are going to get like a job playing somewhere. Uh, and that's because the average career is only about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you look at that and you just, you have such a high turnover is what mm -hmm. that turns into. So you might get that opportunity, but then are you going to be able to actually stick it out and play, you know, three, five, seven, you know, 10 plus years. Um, so that's, that's one of the big things uh, that you've got to look at. So there's a chance for guys, you know, to play at different levels. Um, but, you know, are you going to be professional and, and do the right things? Mainly I would say off the court, um, you know, to last in the business. So, that's super interesting. So a higher percentage that I would have suspected of college athletes may get the chance to play overseas, but chances are you're not going to play two seasons overseas. If it's a one and a half, like that's the, those are the numbers. That's super, super interesting. So you get your shot. Chances are wasn't good enough. Boom. You're out because there, there's the other guy who's played for 10 years. Right. So what is, I mean, think of how much they're actually bringing up that year and a half, right? Because you got those those really elite level players who spend their whole careers over there pulling that average up to one and a half seasons. I mean, shoot, that might even mean out of that 20%, I mean, 10% of those aren't even lasting maybe one season, right? I mean, they might be getting canned to to begin with. I mean, it, it's, it's cutthroat. Like I'll just, I think I played on one team. We had seven guys get fired one season, right? It was insane. We had a bunch of injuries. It was a, it was a weird it was a weird season. I'll just put it, put it that way. Um, and I don't think it was right that so many guys got fired, but, um, you know, that just gives you, gives you an idea of, you know, how that goes. What are some of the, you mentioned some of the adjustments and we'll probably wind out this podcast and we're running out of time, but what are some things that players need from the United States in order to be successful, you know, playing overseas, this could be basketball off the court, everything. Well, I'll say this first because I wanted to say this earlier, but you've got to have a passport. <laughs> like I was at a camp recently and um, a guy uh, played really well. And somebody, you know, the guy that ran the camp wanted to get him a job. And then he found out he didn't have a passport. So like if unless you have a passport, there's no point of even trying to play or going to a camp because you got to have that first. So I would say that before anything else. Um, and then overall, like, I mean, I think being, uh, a, you know, a, a high character guy and a professional and, and understanding what it takes on that end is just about as much important as as important as being a good player, especially when it comes to sticking. Like you might be a great player and not very professional and you might get your first job just off your film or, you know, your body or your athleticism or your stats or, you know, overall your game. But then once you get over there, if you don't make some switches fast, you know, meaning and when I say be a professional, you know, showing up to places on time, you know, doing the right thing, um, taking care of your body, eating right, sleeping at the right times, um, you know, just being somebody that a team can put forward uh, to their sponsors, to the fans, somebody that they, um, you know, aren't, uh, you know, you're marketable, you know, you've got a good personality. You can talk to people. If, if you don't do all those little things, um, then you better be even a better of a player. You know, you, 
it's almost like uh, it, you look at the NBA and or just pro basketball period, and you, you look at some of the guys that are knuckleheads, but they're such great players. Yeah, they might keep getting some opportunities because they're just so elite. But, man, if you think about those same guys, if they weren't that level of player, <laughs> they would have already been cut, right? Um, so you, you've you got it. There's no reason at all to not be, um, you know, a professional and a, and a high character guy and, and do things the right way. And, you know, just it's the fact of the matter. Some guys may be the most professional guys in the world and you might be a solid player too, but, you know, you still might not get an opportunity. Um, it's, it, it's still low percentage of guys do, but the, the more you do um, to help yourself, the higher percentage of chance you're going to have to make it. Um, yeah. You know, the luckier, you, the luckier, uh, you know, your, your luck will become higher. You, you could say, or, you know, you'll have more chances that, that are thrown your way. The, the more things you do to help yourself. Mm -hmm. And that experience definitely, once you've built a resume of playing over there, right. Coaches, I think feel a little bit more comfortable signing you or offering you another contract. Cause you got a little bit of a track record for, you know, how many years and teams and some of the stats and things like that compared to, you know, here's my college college stats at a D2 school. And they're like, eh, I don't know. You know, maybe I'm going to take this person who's already been over here for four years. Maybe they're not going to be as good, but they're more safe. Like I know what I'm going to get. So that really goes a long way. And I absolutely can speak to like the character being dependable, um, showing up on time, always working hard, like treating people well. Yeah, I played overseas for four years on three different teams and every team I played for asked me to come back. So I know that's not a huge amount, like four years isn't a super long time. That was something I always took pride in. Every team I played for wanted me to come back and play for them uh, the next season or even multiple years. Like I was like four years retired and one team was asking me to still come back. They're like, hey, you're still young enough. Like you can come back and play. So hey, I appreciate that. Um, so that goes a really, <laughs> that goes a really long way uh, as well. And the humility factor of, I don't know what the quote that you said Tanner Massey had, but 100%. Like I can say during, when I played in Slovakia, when I played in the pro a, I was like, I got to do, like I had to do my best right now. Cause there's guys in this league that I'm better than there's guys in this league that are better than me. I feel like I'm at a pretty good spot. Like I got to, I got to go. The only year it was like really actually hard for me to like stay motivated was my first year playing in the Regan league. Cause I was like, this is not that fun. I'm averaging like over 30 a game and none of these guys are too, this wasn't like a, a level. Like I had to really try to motivate myself to play in practice, to play against the other teams. I was like, this isn't, uh, but thankfully then, then you, if you play well enough, then you get a chance to move on. And like I said, that's the importance of agents and, and things like that put you in that position and get your name out there so um with that in mind coach tell us a little bit about you know, where we connect can connect with you or we can follow you whether it's online if people have a website or they want to go to or any questions for you how can they get a hold of you um well i mean i'm all over social media i mean from linkedin uh you know it's just my name james blackburn on linkedin um, i'm on there uh coast to coast basketball um, we have a website, just type in coast to coast, uh, international basketball on Google. You'll find our website. Um, it's just coast to coast basketball.com, but we're also on, uh, on Instagram and on, um, Twitter as well. Uh, and, and you'll see those links on our website. Um, and then I'm on, uh, on 
Twitter too. Um, it's just, it's uh, James Junior Twenty One on Twitter. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've if you just type in my name, uh, th there's a lot of different ways to find me. So perfect. No, I follow you on Twitter and uh, Coast to Coast Basketball, or yourself on Instagram. I can't remember which which one it is, but uh, you know, I just speak really, really highly of you because I know you do things the the right way, and we get to. You know, we'll see you this December at one of those exposure camps as well in Myrtle Beach, which I'm looking forward to as well. So thanks for enlightening us a little bit on international basketball and FIBA World Cup. And, you know, for those that have so, some some big hoop dreams of playing internationally, uh, that was awesome as well. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks again, Steve, for having me and um, looking forward to seeing you soon. Thanks to our listeners. 